What's up? And welcome to the Stormcrow Comic Cast. I'm Ruben G. I'm Kevin Merrill. And this week, we are going to begin talking about uh, Batman New 52. Each episode, we're going to kick through an issue. And we're going to start with the Court of Owls arc, uh, which, of course, started off with the New 52. Mm-hmm. Going back to, what, 2011 with the story, oh, I think? dude, it's like ancient times, man. I remember I uh, rode in on a horse to get this very issue. It was pretty cool. That's a lie. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I want to say they started in 52 technically with Justice League 1 in August of 2011. And then September, all the other titles kind of. That sounds right. Yeah. They, and, and it sucked because Justice League was good. And then uh, the second month, it was like at the end of the month, yeah. I recall. So it was almost like really two months between issues. Yeah. That's what it felt like for sure. Lovely. Yeah. But uh, the really cool issue, uh, you know, it's it's gorgeous art. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story is fun. I really liked how Snyder did a great job of introducing so many new elements to Batman, but still making it feel like part of the fabric of the world. Yeah, it didn't come out of nowhere. Um, now, as as the story goes on and you learn more about the owls, uh, it sort of means more. But looking back, even the very first vertical panel of page one, you look into the buildings and there's sort of this owl as like a gargoyle on the side of the building. Yeah. And uh, that was just one of those small details looking back for me that I was like, you know, this is really well done. How uh, you sort of feel like the owls... Ha- even though they're a new character, so to speak, uh, to the Batman universe, it feels like it was always there. Right. You know, later on in the issue, uh, they sort of reference uh, the court. It, Harvey's talking to Batman, or Batman's talking to Harvey, and uh, he mentions the old nursery tale or of the court, and it sort of gets cut off. But as the story goes on, you sort of notice these details, and uh, it's not coming out of nowhere. It's sort of a weaved in very well yeah and and you know going back to that first page to just look at the architecture that, that greg capullo is capable of you know hopefully if you're listening to this maybe you've got a, a copy of batman one handy uh if not we're not going to focus too much on you know specific visuals but uh if you ever get the chance just check 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 out capullo's architecture it's phenomenal really good background work everything I feel. looks like a cathedral and it's dark and it's yeah. it is gothic you know, yes it really is yeah. Very appropriate for Gotham City. Very dirty. Uh, you know, they go right into the asylum, and of, of course, the asylum has its own dirtiness and danger to it. Mm-hmm. It's an old city, and it's got a history. And this isn't starting from square one. It's it's building upon something, and you know, really uh, mixing and meshing the new with the old. Right. Well, I think. And you know, really cool thing about the uh, the Arkham Asylum scenes too. Um, and I guess maybe this kind of speaks to Scott Snyder's skill as a writer is that there's kind of this internal monologue going on with Batman, which, you know, you later find out is maybe part of a speech that Bruce Wayne's giving. Um, but you know that he's talking about, there's this, this, uh, section in the, in the newspaper titled Gotham is, you know, um, and, and readers would come in and they would, you know, say a word or two, what is Gotham? And, uh, you know, people would say damned or cursed or bedlam murderous. But then as you get to the villains, uh, the word choice starts to, starts to change a little bit. You know, he says, for example, Gotham is two face, meaning Gotham is a city at odds with itself. And while that captions there is him punching two face yeah. and, you know, 
Um, he sort of teams up the narrative with the action that's going on in this particular yeah. scene. Yeah, there's, you know, Gotham's Killer Croc, it's Mr. Freeze, it's Black Mask, and you know, every time he says that, he's pretty much punching somebody in the face. Yeah, it's, it's a new guy getting smacked. <laughs> yeah. Biffed and powed. The, uh, just, just really cool kind of um, parallels between what's being said and what's actually happening. You know, yeah. and it's something that's kind of unique to the medium. I think there's some things you can do in shows you can't do in a comic yeah. and vice versa and games and whatever it is. Um, I think somebody who's, who's reading their first comic, maybe this is something that they'd have a hard time catching up on or, or, or picking up on pardon. But like, you know, you read a comic and you're used to seeing a panel with sort of like a dark blue or gray color. And you know that this is Batman thinking or talking or right. whatnot. Um, and I think that's, it's just sort of well done here and it allows, um, it allows Snyder to talk about more than just what's going on in the scene. Yeah. And just all, all the way through to the kind of correlation, obviously it being a comic book, there's going to obviously be a correlation between writing and drawing, but it, it seems to have a little bit more of I I don't know, a little bit more of a part in the pun, a punch to it when things like that happen though, you know, it's more than just basic narration. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It really is. It's narrating the tone of the city of Gotham and the feeling yeah. of what Gotham is. The wow. art, the art is so perfectly married to the word, and it vice really, versa. It really is good in this stuff. I don't want to gush, but uh, the Capullo stuff is—it's pretty awesome looking. The story's fun, and you know, it's kind of—it's kind of going on all cylinders. Uh, after the sort of Arkham scene, um, you get a. Little taste of Jim Gordon, which is fun. There's yeah. I really like the depiction and one in the middle of the page. He's got this wry look as he's talking to Batman. But the the next page is a it's like a big splash of the Batcave. And there's so many of the iconic pieces of it. And this this splash page, I don't know if you remember, but like one of the uh, original episodes of Batman the Animated Series had this very prolonged scene of basically just Batman driving around in the Batmobile and mm -hmm. it just sort of introduced the vehicle, so to speak. Yeah. And this splash page of the Batcave also feels like just this big introduction or reintroduction into sort of the iconography of Batman's world. It's It's got the Tyrannosaur. It's got the different uniforms and the sort of metal ca or glass capsules. It's got like a whole ton of Bat vehicles. In including, you know, I guess maybe these are just kind of Easter eggs that they threw in there. But uh, if you look here, you've got your 1989 Batmobile. If you look in the, the background, there's the Tumblr from the Christian Bell series. Right, right. Yeah, it's cool stuff. And the Big Penny and so on. Big Joker card. Oh, yeah. The, all the classic stuff is there, too. Um, one thing that I do like about this, this issue, uh, and you don't always get this in Batman comics, depending on who's writing it, Normally, you'll get a really strong Batman comic, or you'll get a really strong Bruce Wayne comic. Snyder here does a good a good job of kind of uh, providing you with both. Yeah, you know, there's strong point, Batman yeah. scenes, strong Bruce Wayne scenes, and I feel like we we don't always get that you know as much as maybe we should when reading a Batman comic. Yeah, Bruce is giving this presentation to a lot of Gotham socialites about this uh, investment he'd like to do in the city, sort of improve its infrastructure and different stuff. 
And uh, you get a taste of Bruce Wayne and his attachment to this city. And obviously Bruce's family is like a huge part of what Gotham City is. And it reminds you of that. And it reminds you of like the stuff he cares about and what motivates him. You know, Batman has a lot of stuff to hate about. I mean, you know, we were sort of joking earlier, but he he doesn't care about people's privacy. Right. He doesn't care about, you know, your rights as an individual, but he's willing to sacrifice all those things because he kind of loves his city and he yeah. cares about it. And you might not agree with it, but this whole scene really does a, a good job of, I think, uh, sort of communicating that. And along the way, you get to meet who a character who's going to be very central to the story in Lincoln March. Uh, Lincoln March is a rich guy and Mm -hmm. um, Bruce is politician an investor. Yes. And he's a politician and uh, he certainly kind of looks like Bruce, you know, he's, he's a big fit guy. He he appears to be a little taller than Bruce. He's got a big lantern jaw. And uh, yeah, I wonder if this is intentional without giving away anything that's going to happen to further issues. But his facial features are very similar to Bruce. I cannot imagine that it wasn't intentional. Yeah. This guy looks like he could be Bruce Wayne's older brother or something. Right. Um, and I, I think, I mean, you know, even just their dress, it's a, it's a black tie affair. So of course all the guys are dressed alike. Uh, but, but it's hard not to, I think, to think of that. In the issue, uh, you know, the mystery of what's with the, what the story is going to cover sort of begins to unfold. Of course, uh, they find this John Doe, uh, completely unidentifiable guy. Yeah. Um, stuck with a bunch of throw knives, all sticking out of him like a pincushion, and sort of where the mystery starts, they scrape out some DNA from underneath his fingernails or Batman does. And it matches one of the big hooks of the book, which I'll just go ahead and spoil in this first issue is that the DNA matches Dick Grayson. Yeah. Um, So yet another sort of connection between what's going on in the bat world. And honestly, my favorite part of the end of this isn't even the cool reveal that, you know, it's, the DNA matches Dick Grayson, but it's just the part with Harvey. I I love Harvey and you know, the, the parts with, uh, Gordon earlier. I just, they're among my favorite Batman characters. Batman's interaction with the police is, is always pretty fun. Yeah. And it's really good here. They're obviously familiar with each other, you know, of course, new 52. So what's going to be the same, what's going to be different. And yeah, uh, I want to say this is like what, five years in him being Batman at this point in the timeline. I, I, th- I think that's I think five. correct. Yeah. He's, he's been around for a while. And later on in this series, you know, you get a little bit of context for what's been going on, but it's established here. He's around Harvey Bullock knows who he is and yeah. trusts him at least to some level. You know, he lets Batman scrape DNA evidence off the guy's fingernail. Right. And he's okay with it. He's very much so being an active player in a crime scene, which you wouldn't let your average guy do. Right. So, right, right. Definitely some trust involved there. Um, but going back to, to to the way this issue ends, I remember, you know, that getting me kind of, you know, pumped a little bit for issue two. I thought it was it was very well handled and without saying too much, because we've we've read the story arc in its entirety before. Um but I remember I remember it just being a very, very cool ending to to a first issue. A lot of the time, when you read a debut issue, 
there might be some cool moments in it or, or whatever, but generally debut issues are just laying down foundation, getting familiar with characters, things like that. Um, which is fine is understandable. Um, Scott Snyder goes a little bit. Um, I guess, I guess he, he, he goes the extra mile in giving you something to really hook you for issue two. Uh, another good example of that is, uh, the image comic Manhattan projects. I remember, you know, issue one of that also having a really strong ending to it that, you know, wants you to, or, or makes you want to read issue two immediately, even though you have to wait a freaking a month that's, for the that's next part one of the beauties of reading the single issues is, you know, you, you read it in trade and, you know, it's just right on to the next issue. Uh, but when you have to wait a month, Man, I don't know about you guys out there, but I totally, my favorite books, man, I probably read them five times by the next issue. Uh, it's certainly not for every book that comes out. Manhattan Projects was definitely one, and Batman was definitely another. I don't think the punch of the DNA matching to Dick Grayson hit me quite as hard as some other books, yeah. uh, the little punch of the first issue, but it does, it does give you a reason to come back. And I, I mean, my favorite part of... Batman number one, New 52, this issue we're talking about is just Gotham City. Just the art, the depiction of it, the history of it, the way this new stuff is woven in. Scott Snyder makes Gotham City a character, not just the setting. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think that's really what stands out to me here is just there. there is, this isn't a new thing. It's not forced. You know, Gotham City is is a there's been a million stories written in Gotham City. And he does something new without with it, uh, without abandoning all these cool tidbits that we've picked up over the years, uh, whether they be, you know, characters or elements or big buildings or whatever that we just know from the stories. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to say about this first issue? I feel like we, we kind of went over all the basics of the issue. Um, there's, you know, um, one of my kind of um, standout moments in the book is going back to the Arkham Asylum scenes when you find Batman fighting side by side with the Joker. Yeah. Um, I think it's definitely not a spoiler for this issue as it is revealed that Dick Grayson was sort of working undercover and had this like high tech mask that he was using to yeah. impersonate and, the Joker. And let's let's just throw out there too. If you're listening to this podcast, we will spoil the issue that we're talking about on the podcast, but we won't spoil next times. At least intentionally. Issue. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun. And and you can look in the pictures, the combat scenes. Dick is definitely I mean, as Joker, of course, he's in the Joker outfit, but He's definitely fighting acrobatically, and it's it's one of those fun things to reread and, and look for the little details. But he's flipping around and doing all the the crazy Dick Grayson acrobatic maneuvers. Yeah, a fighting style that is not very typical of the Joker. Yeah, um, you know one uh, one moment in the book during that fight scene that I know we've talked about a couple times now um, is kind of at, at the bottom of this this page where where the fight really gets underway between. Um, Batman Joker and then all the rest of the guys um, there's kind of like those I think you describe them as shards you know those, those panels that are kind of shaped in very odd ways uh, but then in the in the background of that you kind of have the silhouette of uh, 
of Joker and Batman kind of back to back, you know, yeah, fighting, fighting off these guys. Such a cool, cool part. Uh, you know, again, uh, Greg Capullo is awesome. Yeah, he really is. I mean, this is killer stuff. And uh, I'm not, I won't pretend to be a, a comic expert or an art expert, but I feel like his pencils really shine through. Like it's not over inked. I don't feel right. like the colors just ruin it. Some of the time, uh, you know, you, you look at a book and it's just so bold. It's so thick. Uh, but here it feels like there's light touches in it. Uh, the smiles, the grins, the crease in the brow, all yeah. that stuff is. The inker was very, uh, very tasteful in right. how he did things. Yeah, totally. And uh, that's pretty much it for uh, for Batman this week. I uh, think we want to close out the show with kind of a, a pick uh, of the week type segment that maybe we'll do every every episode, where uh, you and I we we find a, a book that uh, that we enjoy uh, that releases past Wednesday. Um, I think this week I'm definitely going to go with the latest issue of The Walking Dead. Um, they've been doing this all out war storyline for uh, a lot of fun, a little while now. Yeah, yeah. Um, Especially, oh man, I don't know really what to say because I don't want to spoil Negan, anything. That's all yeah, you know. yeah, Negan, for, awesome. For those of you who only watch The Walking Dead show, you're really missing out on an awesome villain. But hopefully, they'll bring him into the show at some point. I'm sure they probably will. But it won't be just just like they did the governor. It won't be the same exact character. You know, they'll change things up for sure, TV. Sure. You want it. You want it to be organic. You don't want it to feel forced and and not fit. No. Although there will probably be serious editing on Negan's language. Definitely uh, not safe for work material. In uh, yeah, I was about to say. I mean, they'll have to change you know Negan's character on on AMC just for language alone. Just yeah. you know, because yeah. as rough as that show can get, you know, they can't get uh, quite as. Uh, What's the right phrase? Quite as loose with their their kids, language kids as the comic can. Permission from your parents before picking up the latest Walking Dead, but if they're cool with it, it's pretty awesome. My pick is so obvious that it, Kevin, I'm sure, just knows exactly mm. where I'm going. Got to be Manhattan Projects. My so Little Pony. My Little Pony. <laughs> no, Manhattan Projects. Uh, awesome Hickman book, super fun, a uh, distorted historical, They all these great scientists, obviously the Manhattan Project's dropping the nuke, creating that, but they Hickman goes back and gets all these great characters, Einstein, Enrico Fermi, puts this crazy sci-fi pseudo-historical twist on it. And the book, just every issue, is a pleasure. Yeah. It's so fun and goofy and weird and strange. Um, and it's, it's just phenomenal. And this one just continued to amaze. I got to the end. I, I read the ending, which I won't spoil and was genuinely shocked. I couldn't believe what happened. And it feels like every single issue is that way. So if you're not reading it right now, definitely get on Manhattan projects. I think, uh, nominated for an Eisner. If, if I don't recall, I think lost to saga or something, which is, yeah. Saga is another phenomenal another image phenomenal. book. You know, image has just been Completely on fire the past few years. Absolutely. It's been incredible. I, I really, that's the majority of where, of who's getting my money. It's just uh, definitely, you know, Batman's been awesome. Still reading that even currently. And uh, there are a few Marvel books uh, that I can stand. But uh, Image is just getting the creative stuff and just totally out there. Really fun books. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that probably comes from either total or near total uh, creator control, uh, control yeah. over the yeah. over the books, yeah. 
Yeah, they're not they're not getting beat to death by their editors who don't want characters to marry <coughs> that woman or <laughs> you know uh, whatever it is. They don't have some crazy. You know, one of the things Image avoids is uh, these ridiculous crossovers that infiltrate every book and sort of mandate what the the company is going to be doing. Although, have you heard about the upcoming Image crossover? No, uh, I, no, I haven't. Maybe I haven't. I don't remember. It's, it's not going to be on the scale of like um, Fear Itself or Forever, Forever Evil. Evil. Right. Um, but they're supposedly, uh, I'm, I think this has been confirmed. Uh, they're talking about a crossover between Chu and Revival. That I did hear. And it's very strange to me because Revival has a more serious tone, a more realistic tone, even though, you know, parts of the plot are pretty far out there. But um, Chu is goofy. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. It's just interesting. I'm not sure what to think of it. Yeah, well, we'll have to see when it comes out. Um, Thank you for listening. This was our our first episode of Stormcrow Comic Cast. If you want to be part of the show, you can leave comments, questions, whatever. We're going to be posting this on the Stormcrow Comics Facebook page. And, you know, like anything else on Facebook, there's going to be a little comment section below. Let us know what you think. Um, And check out. the other podcast on my podcasting network, go to 336cast.com. Um, this podcast we intentionally made to be sort of uh, safe for, for work. Um, the other podcast at 336cast.com, not the case. Uh, definitely some explicit content there. So you probably don't want to listen to it while you're on the job. Maybe when like the kids are walking around the house, something like that. If you're not listening with headphones, I, I have a daughter and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts in the car and sometimes taking her to school, whatever the other podcasts in the network, probably not good for that. We're going to try and keep the storm crow comic cast safe. Yeah. Yeah. No F bombs flying or C bombs or yeah, we're keeping the <laughs> out of the storm crow comic cast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So three, three, six cast.com. Uh, we'll be on iTunes to maybe, maybe not. We should be on iTunes by the time episode two comes out for this show. So, uh, rate and review us on iTunes, uh, three, three, six cast.com. Leave a comment on the Facebook page at storm crow comics. Uh, thanks for listening. Anything else you want to add? Dude, just thank you. It was a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, talk to you next week, I guess. See you next week.